From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. Because remember when we were talking about climate change, the, the burning of coal anywhere affects all of us in the same way. Welcome back to the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. Environmental law and policy expert Jessica Auli recently returned from the United Nations Climate Change Conference in Madrid. Today on our show, Auli will unroll the climate talks, which were widely denounced as producing the worst outcomes in 25 years of climate negotiations. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Jessica. Welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be back. Um, so the climate change conference in Madrid, what went wrong? Was it science versus influence and wealth? Well, you know, so many things went wrong, frankly. I'm, there is a science versus influence and wealth, but even amongst people who are well-intentioned, there was just a disagreement of how to move forward. There was a lot of details at the climate conversation, at the climate talks. The conversations, in some ways, were really small and technical, getting into these little details about how markets were going to work, how we're going to trade for things, some of those being very important conversations. But they got so bogged down in the mechanics of how things would work that they're not really responding to the youth, the indigenous people, the developing countries who want real action and want bold statements and things to happen now. And in fact, they got so bogged down in the minutiae, they couldn't even decide on it. So it ended up being a conversation about the smaller things that didn't even result, not even that got resolved. So overall, not very encouraging. Mm. Well, it feels like the global community is coming to embrace the need for ambitious climate tar targets. So why the very strong pushback by the world's biggest polluters? And who are the most egregious bad actors? So there's a lot of things going on here. One is that there are uh, increasing acknowledgement that we need to do something about climate change. And that not only from people and citizens, and you can see a lot of polls, seeing that people agree on this and stuff like that. We also see governments taking stands. We see the EU right before the talks committing to go carbon neutral by 2050. You see a lot of, and that's a big polluting uh, country. So we see this mixture of people, both people and governments wanting to take action, but then when it comes down to it, actually figuring out how to take action, how do we count for it? How do we make sure people are complying with it? Just a lot of disagreement about how you can do that. And we could blame some big polluters. We could blame some governments. Like we could blame Brazil, India, China, some of the governments that really couldn't figure out how to make it work with their current economic structure. But we can also put some blame on even some of the well-intentioned countries. One of the biggest debates here was about carbon markets. How is it going to work if we want to kind of be able to buy and sell carbon credits and try and be efficient in our decreasing of carbon dioxide? Well, can you explain carbon, uh, carbon credits I can. I might even want to take a step back and explain a little bit what happened in Paris, because that'll help us understand what Madrid was all about. Mm -hmm. So in 2015, the countries of the world and nearly every country in the world went to Paris and made this agreement where they figured out we have a lot of a problem here because we have too much carbon. 
We have too many greenhouse gases. We have climate change problems of many different kinds, and we need to stop them. We're going to put together um, obligations. We're all going to uh, agree to cut back. And these are caused by cars, by industry, by... So the biggest cause is fossil fuel burning. So yes, cars, industry, electricity, coal. Uh, you also get um, other greenhouse gases include things like methane, a lot of that coming from cattle and other industries. Some of our carbon problems come from inefficient land use, agricultural practices. Really, it's pervasive. And that's the struggle because you're talking about something that is really produced at every stage of life and in almost every industry. So how do we cut back something that is so ingrained with just how we live our daily lives? Mm -hmm. Well, frankly, by changing a lot about how we live our daily lives. The easiest change, and I shouldn't say easy from the standpoint of how we would get it done, but from the standpoint, the biggest bang for our buck is gonna come from reducing our reliance on fossil fuels and starting with coal, getting rid of coal as being the burning of coal leads to the, the highest amount of carbon dioxide compared to like natural gas and oils and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so we're particularly looking at developing countries like China and elsewhere where there's a real heavy reliance on coal. Because remember when we were talking about climate change, the, the burning of coal anywhere affects all of us in the same way, mm -hmm. right? Because we're talking about a pollutant that goes up into the atmosphere. It's quite different than talking about something like acid rain or something dumped into your lake, right? You can't really think about local or even regional solutions. It's got to be an international solution. Mm -hmm. So Paris, 2015, we gather in Paris to say this, we've got to do something about this. And what they decide to focus on is cutting back on carbon emissions globally, so picture you all come to the table and you say, we all have a carbon problem. We all have a carbon addiction. I was saying to somebody, you could think about it as though we're all in a, um, a weight loss club together, right? So we're all in members of this club and we all say, man, we weigh too much. As a whole, we weigh too much. We're eating too much carbon. We're doing too much stuff. Let's all agree to cut back. And we're going to say our global goal to cut back is going to be, if we're going to think about this in weight, we're going to say, okay, we're all going to cut back globally, all together, jointly, 1,000 pounds. And each of us then chimes in how much we think we can lose. And I say, well, I think I can lose 20 pounds in the next year. And somebody else says, I can lose 50 pounds in the next two years. And we're all, the next person actually says, I can lose three kilograms in the next three months. You know, So we're using different time frames. We're maybe using different scales. And we're all putting in these agreements. The problem with the, what's happening in Paris is we agree on what our goal should be, like this 1,000 pounds, which we agree um, in Paris to say 2 degrees Celsius. We, we don't want to go beyond 2 degrees Celsius of warming. We can figure out what the carbon equivalent of that is. And we all say to ourselves, well, we actually know that 2 degrees is too high. We should have really set it at 1.5. But we put in all our commitments. Everybody chips in and says how much they're going to do. And now we have to deal with how does that actually work? Because first of all, the amounts that we all just chipped in, everything we just say, is not getting us to that 1,000 pounds. It's not getting us to that two degrees. We actually all said too little. We were all being too conservative. We had to actually say, I'm going to lose 50 pounds, not I'm going to lose 20 pounds. But then you have to actually also guarantee that I'm going to lose that weight. So who's going to be the police officer who's going to come around and see whether or not people are really doing these things? How are we going to measure it? Are you guys going to all step on a scale? Do we do it the same day? You know, and then, and then maybe we want to have this conversation about how do we do that? 
So that's the rule book. So in Paris, they're trying to figure out this rule book. What are the rules going to be? So be, I should say in Madrid, we're taking from the five years from that agreement, we've been spending these past five years not necessarily taking a lot of action, but talking about how we're going to take the action, mm -hmm. talking about how are we going to lose that weight? How are we going to weigh people? How are we going to figure out what we're doing? Now, the carbon market. Now, let's suppose that I actually, I'm, I have never been dieting. I don't exercise at all. And so when I say I want to lose 10 pounds, I might be able to lose 10 pounds without making a lot of changes in my life. But you, you are a personal trainer. You are super buff. For you to lose 10 pounds is actually going to be quite hard because you've actually undertaken all of those steps. So think about that from a country perspective. The country that's actually very efficient, has very low carbon, it's really hard for them to cut back. The countries that are carbon fat, well, we might start looking at them being like, well, how could we get them? How can we help them cut back? That's good for our overall goal. It's good for the thousand pounds we might lose. But it might not be good for people meeting their individual goal. So if you said, I want to lose 10 pounds and you don't have that wiggle room, what you might want to do is come help me lose those 10 pounds. Maybe mm -hmm. what you do is you come give me some personal training classes. Mm -hmm. Maybe you come over and show me how to cook better food. Who should get credit now for the weight that I lose? Do you get credit because you actually helped me lose it? Or do I get credit because I physically lost it? Mm -hmm. That's the carbon market. So we want to figure out how can we move these credits around where we figure out who gets responsibility for them. So if I go into China and give them more efficient coal-fired power plants, or if I help them get rid of their coal-fired power plants, do I get credit for having done that, or does China get credit? So that, and then even once we do that, exactly how do we calculate the credit? What are the numbers? What are the metrics we use? So this is what got really hard to figure out and really bogged down. Mm -hmm. And some places already had carbon markets. California has one. The EU has one. They're going to be really sad if we decide that the market we built up doesn't actually mesh very well with the one they already have in existence. It'll be really expensive and really hard for them. So you can see even people who really care get bogged down in these details. Mm -hmm. And then we have people who don't care. <laughs> so all coming together at once right. and trying to work this out. Um, so w what we were doing in Madrid was the next step from Paris. But what actually happened was nothing. Pretty much. Little because things at the margin. Paris was kind of where where we reversed a lot of, especially U.S. things. We were like, okay, we're not going to play. We're pulling out of Paris. So where we really lost was at Paris, not at Madrid. We just, Madrid was, we didn't move forward. Is that a fair? So it depends on who the we is in your sentence. If you're saying, where did the U.S. go wrong? That is when the Trump administration reversed the Obama administration's efforts to fight climate change. So it's an international treaty. The international treaty on its own doesn't do much unless all those countries go back home and actually implement it. Mm -hmm. So the details of what they're doing at the treaty talks is figuring out the rules for the treaty. You know, they're not actually at that point saying this is what we're going to do or this is how we enforce that. It's all of the countries coming forward and saying this is what I'm going to do when I go home. Mm -hmm. So we said this is what we're going to do when I go home. 
said Obama in Paris. And he went home and he tried to do those things. He created something called the Clean Power Plan, which was a effort to get rid of our dirtiest coal fire plants. He had some other mechanisms and policies that would try to um, meet the U.S. obligations under the Paris Agreement, the amount that we said we would throw into the, the pot. The Trump administration reversed that. So that's not actually something that happened at the climate talks. It didn't happen in Paris or Madrid or, or or any of the talks that happened mm-hmm. in intervening times. It's what happens at home when the administration decides it's not a priority to actually meet those global agreements. So the Paris talks are, what we said in Paris is we said, we're going to take five years to try and figure out the details of how this is going to work. At the end of five years, so next year in Glasgow, hopefully countries are going to step up and say again how much more they're going to commit to, how much more we're going to get back. Hopefully we'll have the details for how we even monitor how countries are doing. But what happened in Madrid was almost nothing. Mm -hmm. A lot of commitments, a lot of talk, a lot of saying we should be more ambitious, we should think about the ocean, but not a lot of specific details of how we're going to change things. If there is a change of leadership in 2020, how quickly can the U.S. implement or re-implement stricter measures? Will it have to wait? I mean, will that happen at Glasgow or can we rejoin the Paris Climate Accord? We can absolutely rejoin the Paris Climate Accord, but the joining of the Climate Accord is a little step. The the measures that need to be undertaken are the measures that happen at home. Signing onto a treaty is only words until we come home and actually implement the treaty on our own soil. Even Obama struggled with that, and he was very supportive, obviously, of the the Paris Agreement and of the underlying climate treaty. The uh, clean power plan was being challenged in the courts before the Trump before Trump even took office. Mm-hmm. So, if let's say we go back. And we have now some um, new president and she's interested in implementing the clean power plan. Well, she probably is going to have to deal with the court challenges that will rise up again. Right. So we have some struggles like like that, that are any type of legal change in, in any realm that we would have with a change of administration. I think that there's a lot of struggles always in the environmental realm of industry challenging any pro environment, uh, carbon reduction regulations. So I would expect to see that happen. That's what's going to slow down the process. That's what's going to take a year or two, even with the change of position. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything positive to say? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Is there anything hopeful or, or good <laughs> to come? So I, I was thinking about this. I think that the real question to ask here is whether this process is relevant anymore. And you notice that a lot of the questions you're asking me, I'm kind of pushing back to other pieces as a, and taking us away from the Paris, Madrid, Glasgow international regime. The value of that regime, I think, that international legal regime, I think is limited these days. I think the value is coming from keeping attention on it, getting people energized about it, uh, having people come, you know, leaders of the world once a year come together and talk about climate change. The actual activity itself does not seem to result in much to um, be excited about. Uh, But you see things like the EU announcing its measures in anticipation of it. You see kind of these activities that happen around the climate talks because the world is paying attention. 
I don't think the activity is happening at the climate talks. Right. No. So I do think we can be encouraged that so many countries are taking action, that so many youth are taking action. We have more activity on this than ever before. So I do think we're moving in the right direction. It just might not be at the climate talks. And industry are taking action on their own, not coal fire plants, perhaps. <laughs> oh, no, you're absolutely right. So one of the things that we have seen step, uh, step up is private industries and businesses, right? They also acknowledge that climate change is a problem that affects them. It affects their ability to recruit workers. It affects their, themselves, their families. And we see even without a legal obligation, um, actually private actors stepping up and undertaking kind of climate reduction. reduction. Doing the right thing, yeah, right? Yeah, Do you think um, what's uh, the wildfires in Australia have really helped focus the world's attention that this is climate change, this is real, half a billion animals uh, dead? Uh, it seems to me that that came at a, at a time when people are thinking about more about climate change, but kind of focuses that this is real, this is now. Well, I'm glad that you say that. I think that um, if there's anything that could possibly be good coming out of this horrific fires there, if it does cause more people to pay attention and think of this as a, as a real thing, that's, that's good. Uh, to me, it's just another in a long line of stories. Um, maybe somebody needs the one that they identify with that helps that hit home for them. But we also had some horrific hurricanes and other natural disasters that are just over and over again, we're hearing these stories. And so in some ways you think, if you've been paying attention, you think this is just another one. But I think the type of um, impact it is, the the really large scale of this impact. And I think there's something about the fire that feels a little bit different to people than other types of natural disasters, that they're really realizing how hard this will be to recover from. So uh, it hasn't so far changed many attitudes in the Australian government, but one hopes that it will. <laughs> um, so if Jessica Owley were running the world. Oh, do I get to do that? You get to do that, at least here and now. Um, what would what would be the one thing that you would go after strongest, fastest? Like, if if you could tell all the countries that they had to do this and they had to do it right now, it would be going after fossil fuels. Absolutely, absolutely, going after fossil fuels, um, implementing a carbon tax. I think that would change people's attitude about carbon. It'd help us see it ourselves. I think even even those of us who think a lot about this might not realize what impacts all of our own activities have. I think that that would change a lot of behavior is kind of actually bringing home for all of us kind of the carbon price of each thing we do. I also think that it... it fits well into our current economic structure. I think the real problem probably is our current economic structure mm -hmm. uh, and, and the patterns of, of capitalism and where the incentives lie. Um, so if I do really get to rule the world, maybe I'd change <laughs> that. But if I get to the rule the world in a slightly more realistic way, I would say we could still, we're working within our current structure, there's a lot of opportunity here for improvement. We've got to act quickly, though. <laughs> yes, get to work. And if John Q. Public could do one single thing in their lives every day. I mean, plastic straws, I know, it's a gateway. Um, 
But is there one thing I always feel like when I hear these reports, it's like, well, what can I do? What can I as one person not use plastic bags? Is there one thing that you would love to see everyone do? The number one most important thing everyone can do here is vote. We all want it to be the plastic straws because somehow that's more tangible. Uh, but I think that's a bit of a, I mean, and you should, uh, you should get rid of your plastic straws and your plastic bags and your reusable, uh, get, get reusable cups and you should drive less and take public transportation and you should live close to your work. You, we can undertake all these activities, but they're really marginal in comparison to where the big problems are. The big problems really are shifting our economy off of fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. That is not going to happen because a bunch of us get metal straws. I'm not saying we shouldn't. That'll help with the turtles. It'll help with plastic pollution. It'll help with a lot of things. But to really, the, the problem here is that we can't simply solve this problem with small individual changes. We can all help with small individual changes, but it won't get us anywhere without big structural changes. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming back and talking to us. I'm sure we'll be talking a lot in the next year. Hopefully there'll be no news but good news next time. Yeah, knock wood. Thank you. Thanks for joining us at The Explainer. If you like the show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Ray D. Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's episode was brought to you by the University of Miami School of Law's Entertainment and Sports Law Conference. Since 1997, this full-scale event has brought law students and professionals together to discuss current legal issues in sports, entertainment, intellectual property, the arts, and the media. For more information, go to www.law.miami.edu forward slash ESLS.